We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sports-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle, he dives, and he's in! Touchdown, 49ers! Another episode of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag and Blue Chew. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersStation.com. And joining me tonight is my co-host, former NFL defensive back, Eric freaking Crocker. What is going on, brother? Oh, man, just... Uh... I guess been busy, man, getting ready for this move across, well, halfway across the United States. Um, big move. But, uh, yeah, outside of that, just, you know, uh, pounding away at this, uh, uh, you know, the Crocker Report, you know, uh, getting that up and going, feeling like a boss a little bit. And, uh, yeah, man, just excited to talk some football, 49er football. Okay. Now, before I let you get away with carrying on, um because last time we were on here, you, you dropped your little uh, – it was just you and I. You've actually been on here since then, and it was me, you, and Kevin. 
but you dropped your little, you know, announcement. And obviously you announced on Twitter that you are establishing and starting the Crocker Report, your own website and brand for you and, you know, all your scouting acumen. So just real quick, just explain to the people that are listening that may not have heard through your Twitter what the Crocker Report is. So, so basically, you know, obviously I do all the, you know, the breakdowns, the film breakdowns, kind of the scouting reports, um, everything that kind of goes into like draft analysis on Twitter. And over the last couple of years, I've been asked if I had a website or anywhere people can go to read like, you know, previous work. Well, I didn't have anything. And finally, someone asked again, and it kind of sparked the idea that, hey, you know, maybe I should, I put so much work into this. I put so much time into it. Why not put all that time and effort into something that can actually grow? Um, especially since my Twitter following has been growing, um, especially, you know, over the last, over the last years, it's really kind of grown a lot. And, uh, I thought, you know what, man, enough people value my opinion, enough people value my, my work and kind of my eye for certain things. You know, why not? Why not go all in on it? So I put out there that, hey, you know, I'm looking for a small team. I thought five to, you know, five, ten people would be interested. Um, I say about 200 people ended up being like really interested in, in, in being involved in it. And I was kind of really, uh, blown away by a lot of the responses I got, man. And, uh, it was crazy, man. And I still get messages about it. Uh, I, I want to say I capped off all the guys I'm going to add right now, which I have about 10, 10 guys, um, that are on board. Uh, they're all contributing in different ways. I actually have a freaking um, chief of editor. <laughs> you know, I went and got, you know, somebody that really does that. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited to, um, you know, drop this. The website should be up in the next uh, week or two. So, uh, yeah, man, it's really, and it really big things. I, I'll go more in depth another time. I don't want to go on a rant here, but what I have going on with it, really, really big things um, I see coming from that. So, you guys stay tuned. I'm pretty sure I'll keep you guys updated. It's awesome, man. Congratulations, dude. It's cool Thanks. to see you, uh, you know, finally take like an official step with it. And you, you have a, a website on the way, right? Yeah. So the, you said, you said what? You, you have a website that's like coming pretty soon, right? Yeah. No, the website's about to drop. Matter of fact, like I just got sidetracked because the lady that's making my website, she just texted me. So um, that should be up. The website should be done in the next week. And I'm pretty sure, like, you know, I have to iron out some kinks and make sure everything's good. Um, but content should be dropping in the next two weeks for sure. Okay. I just searched the Crocker Report, and it's it's not up there yet. It's a bunch of stuff about the Iraq War. So <laughs> it'll, be, uh, it'll be up there. I'm looking forward to when I search for that. It'll be your website. That'll be sweet, man. That's going to be exciting. I know. Yeah. That's exciting. But, um, so, yeah, we uh, – we have Crocker doing bigger and better things. Hopefully, he doesn't outgrow our podcast. And dude, eventually you're gonna you're gonna have to go back to having your own podcast too. Probably, you know what I mean? Like where you where you each episode you talk about a few players or something. I bet you that would do really well. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm trying not to put too much on my like on my plate. I really enjoy striking gold. So as far as podcasts go, that's like my number one priority. So um, and that's not just like a like the politically correct thing to correct say answer. like that's really how I feel like I love talking about 49ers I love talking about 49ers with Rob so I can't like I'm really not focusing uh-huh. on any other podcast right now you know that's cool man well same with me bro same with me feelings mutual but anyways so the 
I guess this week has been kind of like, you know, a cooling off period. Like draft week for the 49ers was probably crazier than almost any other team. You know what I mean? Like you had a team that you thought was going to be – at one point, we thought the 49ers were going to be relatively low-key players in the draft. You know, like they only had one first-round pick. It was super late. And then they didn't pick again until the fifth round. And sure, they had a lot of picks in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. But, like, you know, you just didn't assume the 49ers were going to make be a big deal. Then all of a sudden, they trade to Forrest Buckner. They get the 13th overall pick. Then they trade back from 13 and take Javon Kinlaw. Then they trade up from 25. When no one thought they were going to do that, everybody thought they were going to trade back because they wanted to get some picks for the second and third round. They trade up instead. They uh, They draft Brandon Ayuk and then – and, and and obviously day two was chill. Nothing happened day two. It, it, you, although reading Twitter and reading all the scenarios that everybody was coming up with, that the 49ers could get into day two. Like, I, I get it. You know, it's draft weekend. Everybody wants the 49ers to pick, make a pick. And, uh, like, some of the scenarios I was reading on Twitter were just awesome. Like, what they could do to possibly get a second and third round pick. And, of course, none of it happened. They didn't pick in day two. But – uh, day three comes around and you think it's going to be super chill and, and they're just going to make their late round picks and they end up freaking they traded Matt Breida for a fifth round pick they traded Marquise Goodwin to swap picks in the sixth round and then they traded a fifth round pick this year and a third round pick next year for Trent Williams you know Joe Staley announces his retirement like dude it was the draft weekend was anything but chill you know and so now we've kind of been chilling on that but Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated just yesterday, I believe, published a really, really long piece where it was basically him and John Lynch um, having a conversation about the draft weekend and everything the 49ers did. And I just wanted to run you guys through it real quick because there was a ton of interesting tidbits in here. And, and what I should have done to make this a little more seamless was as I read it, you know, taking all these notes on all the little points, but I didn't. I read it, and, you know, I'm kind of just going to gloss through it with you guys. Um, but obviously the way it starts out was is how early on the 49ers realized they were not going to be able to keep DeForest Buckner because essentially um, Joel Siegel, Buckner's agent, and kind of like a casual discussion at the scouting combine told the 49ers and John Lynch, that any new deal that the DeForest Buckner was going to sign was going to have to average, he said that number was going to have to start in the twos, meaning he wanted at least $20 million a year. So pretty much at that point, what Breer says is the 49ers realized they weren't going to be able to keep DeForest Buckner with the amount of, you know, they have George Kittle, uh, whose extension might be done soon. You know, it might be done before next season. Um, then you have guys who are who are working their way up. Like, I guarantee you the 49ers are already looking at what it's going to take to re-sign somebody like Nick Bosa. If if he maintains his trajectory, you know, they, they have to plan like that. So they realized early on that they weren't going to be able to keep DeForest Buckner and still open the way for these other players um, like Eric Armstead, Jimmy Ward. So what Lynch essentially did was he told – uh, Buckner's agent, Siegel, like, go ahead and it might be Seagal, which would be even more awesome because Steven Seagal. But yeah, he, bas- he basically told Buckner's agent, like, hey, he, Buck has earned every dollar he's going to get paid. The 49ers had insane respect for Buckner. 
you know, they did them trading him was not a slide against him. And they said, look, Buckner's earned it. You go find somebody willing to pay that for him, work out a trade, but in the, and this is in quotes, but you better bring back a first round pick. So basically John Lynch said, Hey, you can go seek out a trade. You find somebody willing to pay him that, but it's going to take a first round pick. And if you don't get that, it's not going to happen. And what, what he says is, Lynch, not only did he bring back, this is a quote, not only did he bring back a first-round pick, he brought back the 13th pick. And then it's like, whoa, I didn't think he'd do that. And, it said, you know, at that point it became real. At that point, you know, the 49ers were going to trade DeForest Buckner for the to the Colts for the 13th pick, you know. And, and DeForest Buckner signed a four-year, $84 million deal, which, you know, if you're going based strictly off that number, it's over $20 million. Um, and obviously, Indy, Indy, Indy had been hoarding like cap space for a while. They had a huge, you know, amount of money. So that was a super easy move to them. And, you know, just knowing kind of the way they run their office over there, I guarantee you getting their hands on somebody like DeForest Buckner was like an, oh, my God, this is amazing type of deal. So just moving on, um, you know, it, it, the 49ers are just – the way they saw it was they looked at all these scenarios. Can we can we sign Buckner and then franchise tag Armstead? Can we, can we you know, work out some scenario where this is going to work? Because they wanted to keep both. They wanted to keep Buckner and Armstead, but they just realized they couldn't. Um, that's the only reason they were able to sign Jimmy – or, excuse me, Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of how the – the Forrest Buckner story ran its course. Now the the big thing is, and Lynch mentions this, is they're just hoping they don't regret it. You know, they're they're just hoping that somebody like Javon Kinlaw works out and and everything kind of is able to keep rolling because they they did not want to trade the Forrest Buckner. Like they, you just don't want to lose a player like that. So they're just hoping that the moves they made in his place uh, work out. You know, which is. Which is interesting, but we've kind of talked about that, right, Croc? Like, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of right. what we assumed was the case, right? Uh, I mean, you know, he's you draft guys, and you know, you hope them, you hope that they turn into the type of player and teammate that DeForest Buckner, you know, is. Um, you know, obviously they weren't responsible for drafting Buckner, but even when you inherit a player like that, uh, you want to hold on to him. And you know, I just think it came to. A point where it sucks, but I, I will say this about this regime. I think they are doing everything in their power to make sure that the Super Bowl window, a lot of people talk about the Super Bowl window opening and closing. I think they're doing everything in their power to sustain it as long as possible. And this move is not only a move for, you know, this year, it was something that really kind of helps the 49ers financially over the next five years. So I guess, you know, when you look at it like that, you know, it, it was something where, ah, you know, it sucks to not be able to have Buckner. But if Ken Law is who people think he is, um, and I know somebody asked a question about him, I know we'll get to that, but if Ken Law is who we think he is, and he's just a, a really good football player, right, he's a really interior guy, a really good interior guy, uh, you'll be you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Now, is he the leader that Buckner was and, you know, the hard worker and all that? You don't know. And those are the type of things that can kind of hurt a team if he's not. But uh, just from a from a roster building standpoint and sustaining an open window, I understand it. Not saying I have to like it because Buckner was one of my guys, but I understand it. Right. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. And Buckner definitely was one of my guys too. He was like my last great draft crush. Like, you know, after that, after the Buckner stuff, I and mean, that's when I started to get a little deeper into the media. And, and, you know, like I said, you kind of have to put the fan stuff aside and start doing your job. And so the last time I felt like I was allowed to have like a super, uh, you know, intense draft crush <laughs> was, was DeForest Buckner. And, and so that was all cool. But, and then the next uh, scenario situation that, that Breer goes into is the Jimmy Garoppolo Tom Brady thing, you know, and obviously when, when the 49ers found out John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan found out Tom Brady wanted to play for San Francisco. So yes, that, that, that is out there. That's confirmed. Tom Brady wanted to play for the 49ers. It was his favorite. It's his favorite team as he grew up and it might still be his favorite team in his own, you know, in his own, in his personal life. But, um, so the 40 Lynch and Shanahan had to contemplate that they had to, you know, it's the right thing to do to look at, you know, they they broke down the tape of Tom Brady uh, this last season. Said, you know, it says they were impressed, um, but one of the things they felt obligated to do was before they they take any further steps, other than just looking, was we need to find out, ex- or we need to take a closer and more in depth look at what we feel we have in Garoppolo. You know, and that throughout the chaos of a season. Somebody like Shanahan or Lynch might not have time to just go through and look at every single one of Garoppolo's snaps and exactly what went on and, and what he did right, what he did wrong on, on any given play. So that's what they said they did. They said they spent says they spent three or four days just looking at Jimmy Garoppolo's tape, saying, "Is this really somebody we want to move on from?" You know, because essentially what they would do is they would have signed Tom Brady as a free agent. I'm assuming the 49ers would have been number one on Tom Brady's priority as far as where he wants to sign. And then they would have traded Jimmy Garoppolo for probably more than they, you know, than they traded for him. I'm, I'm, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's value has gone down at all. And there might not be people that are very high on him, but at the same time, he's proven to be a viable NFL starting quarterback, maybe a top 15 guy, maybe top 10 to 15 guy, maybe it's anywhere around there, whatever your opinion is. There are a bunch of teams that would love to have that guy in the building. So they had to really break it down and figure out what they felt they wanted to do. And they ended up looking at Jimmy Garoppolo more closely. And it says that both Lynch and Shanahan came away saying, I feel like the answer's already here. You know, why shake things up? Why trade Garoppolo? A guy who just played a big part in taking us to the Super Bowl when we feel like we could just stick with him. And, we feel they still the 49ers still feel like Jimmy Garoppolo is as a long ways to go or I don't mean a long ways to go as in he's in a rough spot I mean they feel like he can still grow and become quite a bit better as he you know develops in the 49ers offense and so that's why they ended up and they even told Jimmy Garoppolo this they they spoke to him and said hey look this is everything we did you know we thought about the Tom Brady you know we we so we went and took a closer look and decided we want to we want to roll with you and you're our guy and that's what they said. So, you know, that's an interesting scenario too. And I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo would appreciate the honesty. And, and and I think he probably understands that, I mean, you would almost judge a team if they didn't take a look at signing somebody like Tom Brady, no matter who your quarterback is. Like sometimes you just got to contemplate when a guy like that might be available. So, and then the, uh, the only other big time, 
scenario that this kind of breaks down and, and it talks all about the 49er, you know, the 13th overall pick. I mean, I, I just, I don't want to spend, cause this is our mailbag episode. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I feel like we could spend a whole freaking podcast talking about this. Um, he goes on to break down how the 49ers, uh, swung for Trent Williams. It was very risky. They weren't sure it was going to go through. Uh, they kind of, you know, they dealt a lot with Ron Rivera because obviously the relationship between Shanahan and the Redskins ownership isn't the strongest. And, you know, Ron Rivera ended up pretty much coming through for him. He kind of said, hey, if it, if it doesn't move any further than this, then he should be your guy. They ended up getting him. It was a huge risk because the 49ers passed on um, what tr- what was it? Tristan Wirfs, right, Croc? The guy that yeah, was uh, Wirfs from uh, Iowa. And, and right. from everything I heard, he was more of a guard. Um, obviously, listed at a tackle, played at a tackle, tested like a tackle. But I think his film, from what everyone was saying, he is more of a guard, but like a dominating guard if he were to be that. But, yeah, that's Tristan Wirfs. But he ended up going to Tampa. Uh, 49ers should have went uh, back one spot. He went to Tampa. Right, right. So that was who they were. They were looking at that. They, you know, they picture being in the 49ers position. They now know Joe Staley's retiring. And they have, you know, somebody who they had ranked very highly in Tristan Wirfs available to them at 13. But they decide that they're going to trade back anyways because they're going to go with Kinlaw. And they just, the 49ers essentially felt like, that dominating defensive front was the the main reason that they got to where they were last season. And they didn't want to shy away from that, no matter what else was available. And in this article, it says that Javon Kinlaw was, was number one on the team's list of players that should be available at 13 that they would not trade away and, and select. So Javon Kinlaw was a guy that at 13 – or, you know, if he was available, they weren't going to trade out. Well, they knew that Tampa Bay was looking for a tackle, so they felt comfortable in moving back one whole spot um, to do it. So that's how they ended up securing that trade. And then when they traded up with the Vikings in later in the first round to draft Brandon Ayuk, the Vikings were actually one of the other teams really in on um, Trent Williams. They were trying to trade for him. And John Lynch felt like – like, did this – the 49ers gave the Vikings a fourth-round pick to move up for Ayuk. They're like, did we just give them the ammunition they needed to trade for Trent Williams? Like, that's what he felt like he might have done. And the story was is that Trent Williams ended up nixing a trade to the Vikings and going to the 49ers, but, you know, who knows how much of that has legs. I know Trent Williams kind of said that he, he didn't, um, but who knows. But so the 49ers took a lot of risks. They took a lot of risks and they played a lot of games and they, you know, they, 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 by all intents and purposes, we'll see how it wraps up, but they, they kind of aced this situation. Like the amount of things that they had come their way, whether it becomes the Buckner, Staley, uh, you know, the, the, the worst being available, trading back, like the amount of scenarios they worked their way through in this draft was just crazy impressive. And yeah, I, I think they usually do a, really good job of managing the draft and working the draft. Now, you know, obviously getting the right player, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think as far as, like, what their intentions are and how they work the draft, I think they typically do a great job of of that. Now, what do you think about this, right? Um, I was listening to John Lynch, and he talked about how last year he they wanted Nikhil Harry, which I'm glad they didn't get. I wasn't a big Nikhil Harry guy. But they wanted Nikhil Harry, and he was drafted – Excuse me, drafted at, what, 32 to the, yeah, the Patriots. Patriots? Did they come off a Super Bowl win? I, he might have been – it might have been 31, and they yeah, were well, coming off a Super Bowl loss. 
Yeah, it, it was thirty-one to thirty-two to New England. They they're always in the mix for Super Bowl. So, right. but um, thirty-one or thirty-two to New England. That's where Nikhil Harry was drafted. So, yeah. No, it was pick thirty-two in two thousand nineteen. Okay, yeah. So pick thirty-two. Yeah, they won because they had beat Kansas City, and they went and played the Rams. All right, so right. Um, there you go. There you go. I completely forgot about that Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Well, most people did. They, I think a lot of people put it away out there in memory bank. But uh, so they picked him at 32, and the 49ers obviously picked a, a couple picks later. And obviously not maybe being aggressive to get a guy like, okay, you know, we'll see if we get him. Or maybe we like Debo Samuel just as much, but just not getting your guy. Um, I don't know how, if, how that made them feel. Um, obviously, I'm pretty sure they're good with Debo. But maybe this year they were like, you know what, there was a guy that we really wanted. We didn't get him. We settled for Debo, even though it has worked out so far. This is a guy who we really want. Let's go up and get him. Because there have been a lot of people like, well, they, they could have got him at – they could have waited, right? And that's what that would have been me if the 49ers traded up last year to get Nikhil Harry. I probably would have thought, man, they could have waited. They could have waited to pick 34 and got Nikhil Harry. They, they didn't have to trade up for him. Nobody wanted him. But it, it kind of just shows – goes to show you really never know, right? Like, you don't know what these other NFL teams are doing. I, I would have never guessed in a million years that that uh, the Raiders would draft Damon Arnett at pick 19. You know what I'm saying? So you you I know everybody thinks they have the answers to the draft. Some wild stuff happens. Um, you never know. So that's just kind of my thing on ho- that whole uh, grabbing that, trading up for IU. Uh, Right, and and it says in this article that the 49ers basically coveted Ayuk, and then they kind of understood what his his draft kind of you know his his standing was, and they felt and and I think he was relatively high on that same list of players they would have taken at 13. John Lynch said that he, excuse me, he had Ayuk like like neck and neck with CD Lamb. It sounds like those were their top two guys, Brandon Ayuk and CD Lamb. And, you know, had they elected not to go with Javon, Javon Kinlaw at 14, then I, they probably would have been C.D. Lamb. So, you know, and, and we'll see how that works out, and we'll see what, what that pans out. But, the, but San Francisco had decided that if Ayuk made it past the Eagles at 21, that they were going to trade up to get him. And there's a lot of people that have said that that I, the Packers were looking at Ayuk, and once he went off the board and the 49ers jumped them to, to get Ayuk, uh, that's when they went Jordan Love. So, I mean, who knows? It seems like a pick kind of as splashy as Jordan Love. Like it seems like that might have already been their guy type of deal, if that makes sense. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh, man, Brandon Ayuk's gone. Oh, let's get our quarterback. You know what I mean? Like it just seems like maybe they'd already made their mind up when it came to, to picking him. But who knows, man? But so, you know, and, and Kyle Shanahan has a very, very high opinion of Brandon Ayuk, and basically it's for the same reason he liked Debo Samuel a lot. Like, you have two guys that are just insane after the catch, and Kyle Shanahan already has a lot of faith in his offense that he's going to be able to create some some openings for these guys, and he just wants them to make some magic happen after they catch the ball. And the one thing they like a lot about Brandon Ayuk is he's a junior college guy, and even last year, not not last season, the season before that, he was fighting for, you know, attention opposite Nikhil Harry. And so they feel like last season where he was, you know, he made his, his debut. I think he was 1,200-plus yards and, you know, like seven or eight touchdowns. I don't have his, his season memorized. Um, 
they feel like that was him just scratching the surface, and they feel like he's a guy. And I think you've said that too, right, Croc? Like you feel like he's a guy that's that's that's, if you know, uh, you want to say he's only gonna get better. Yeah, um, that was the first thing. I, I I really liked his game a lot. Um, the more I dug into it after the 49ers selected him, the more I saw that there is a lot to really like and that there are little things that he can work on to get better at. But he does a lot of things consistently very well. Uh, but he's fairly new to receiver, but not in the sense of I, th- I think people want to say, like, he's raw. I don't think he's raw. I think he does a lot of little nuanced things extremely well. But he hasn't been playing receiver for that long. He was more of a utility guy at Sierra Junior College. Um, so much so that he was recruited and offered a scholarship to Alabama to play defensive back. So he's a very talented guy, uh, but where he's at right now as far as being a receiver, he has freaky upside. And he's actually really good. I think he's going to be a plug-and-play type guy once he, you know, grabs the offense. So that, that's the only thing you just have to – how long is it going to take him to grasp that with no real offseason? Um, but as far as, you know, what he could be moving forward uh, – very, very good. Very dynamic. Yeah, I haven't seen anything in his game that screams raw. Like the, you can kind of, I guess, knowing how little he's played the position, you might want to use that word. But if you watch him play, you don't see someone that doesn't know what they're doing or that you know makes a lot of clumsy mistakes. He runs good routes. He has good hands. Um, he, you know, he has great speed. What's crazy is I think a lot of people slept on his speed because he ran a four or five at the combine, but he had kind of like a core injury where he that he was dealing with and he had surgery with it right afterwards. And I, I something there was I, I'd have to go back and look at this, but something said the 49ers are the one that convinced him to, to get the surgery or some something along those lines. Like I, I'd, I'd have to go and find that. Don't quote me or that's def, definitely not a report, but there was somebody said something that effective of a conversation he had with the 49ers are what convinced him that he needed to, to get that surgery just in, and get right. And that's, what's crazy is if he was dealing with some sort of core injury and still managed a four to five, that's crazy. But you can watch the tape of him all day and he just runs away from people or, you know, or maintains the, the gap. And what was impressive to me is, how he'll make a guy miss and how quickly he gets back up to speed. Like he'll have another defensive back or something bearing down on him as he's making a guy miss. And obviously you have to slow down a little bit to do that, but he would still be able to pull away. So no, I never saw anything about his game that looks like he's inexperienced. You know, he's, he looks a lot better than he should given the amount of experience he's had. But so, yeah, let me see. Is there anything else out of this thing I'm missing? I mean, you know, his his biggest thing, Lynch goes just goes, it's is that he goes on to kind of say, like, look, none of, nothing about this is guaranteed. Like, we hope this is gonna work out. And it was incredibly difficult to trade guys like DeForest Buckner or Matt Breida and you know, guys that you kind of worked it out. But you know, he has a good ex- experience as a player having been in these situations. He's been released, he's been traded, you know, and he's he was obviously an elite player at his position. You know, he's he's close with the Patriots organization, and he said, you know, he's like, look at the Patriots, man. Every year they're cutting great guys loose. You know, they let go of Chandler Jones. You know what I mean? And it's it's your ability to adapt to those changes that you're going to have to make that are inevitable that will determine how much you're going to succeed. So, you know, he, he definitely in this article mm-hmm. acknowledges that not all of these decisions may work out, but you just hope that you're you're making enough right decisions that you, you're getting the team in the right direction. So. um you got anything else you want to add on that, Frog? Before we no, I think I heard, back? I think I heard something about uh, he was John Lynch asked how he felt after the draft, 
And he kind of basically said something along the lines of, like, he doesn't even, like, feel any type of way after drafts anymore because he knows it takes time for them to kind of play out. Was that yeah. was that in that article? Um, it there. Oh, I just clicked out of it. I'd have, I'm, I'm not okay. sure. I'm not sure. But <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, he just he basically said that you know it. He almost talked about it like it wasn't a pleasant experience. You know, like they had to do so much and make so many, you know, crucial decisions that they weren't taking lightly. That you know, it probably wasn't all that fun. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff that came with a lot of inherent risk and. You know, trading a guy like DeForest Buckner, who's 26 and one of the best defensive players in the NFL, and you know, and then going with a younger version of him at his position, hoping that he works. You know what I mean? There's so much stuff that is just that it's going to take years to figure out whether or not they paid off. That's got to be stressful, especially from a guy who used to be a player that knows that every decision he's making is possibly impacting the livelihood of other players or people within his building, and you know, that's intense stuff. So, all right. So before we get to your questions, sorry to, to drag this on. Hopefully, I didn't feel like a drag. It was just a lot of really, really cool information in an article. Like I said, that was written by Albert Breer um, of Sports Illustrated. I quote tweeted it on my Twitter only like maybe four or five tweets ago. You should be able to find it if you haven't read it. I recommend reading it. It's very, very interesting. I only kind of glossed over it, but so before we get to your questions, uh, let's get a couple word in from our sponsors. Um, First one is bet online because all of you guys know know out there that there's I mean we're 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 trending back to it but right now there's still no NBA there's still no NHL there's still no MLB so you you're obviously going to think there's nothing to bet on well you'd be wrong our partner bet online still has hundreds of events games and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack they will bring Vegas to you do you miss the NFL of course you do no problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on just like a normal game. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. Make sure that if you're heading to BetOnline, you use promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. When you join because you're going to receive a new welcome bonus, and it tells them that you're coming from our show. Okay, BetOnline is your online wagering solution. Now, in addition to BetOnline, we've got a new entry to our sponsors, Blue Chew. And this one's for you, gentlemen. If you're looking to last longer, go a few extra rounds, quote-unquote, get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew is the first-ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE, all you got to do is pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's BlueChew, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W, dot com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay, we're back at it. I was waiting for you to chime in there, dude, like that one time. I can't remember what the ad was. Oh, yeah. like, yeah. 
I like Lucy. Yeah, you're like you know, like I can tell like through the laptop. This is blessing. Yeah, 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 I'm, 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 I'm hella white, man. It's easy to tell. And it's like, uh, do I look like I use Bluetooth? Like that's what I was. I, I was like, I, he doesn't know what to say right now. That was funny. No, you what? What was it? It was what was the it was other? Bluetooth. No, it wasn't Bluetooth, bro. It was a different one. Bluetooth, brand new. I've never heard of that in my life. It was, but it was the same goal. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was the same thing. It's something that did the same thing, but I can't remember what it was, dude. And you're like, and you're like, you use this? Like right in the middle of the ad, you're just like, hey, do you use this? And I was like, uh, is he serious right now? I'm like, oh yeah, that was yeah, that was funny. Dude, I about died, man. That was so funny. Hopefully, you guys are listening or laughing too, because it was so funny. Essentially, it was a it was a men's erectile dysfunction ad. You know, and, and it had, you know, like solution for it, like a Bluetooth thing or whatever it is. I don't know if, you know, and in the middle of the ad, Eric Crocker was like, hey, do you use this? In the middle of the ad. And I like froze. I was like, uh, no, <laughs> like I had no idea what to say. It was the funniest shit ever. But anyways, sorry, we're we're diverting off task here, but striking gold 49ers. All right. So. Obviously, uh, we felt like, and we do. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing mailbag episodes often, but we don't want to do them too often. But at the same time, we just had the draft. We did a mailbag right before the draft. Why the hell wouldn't we do a mailbag right after the draft? Because right. it, it kind of helps guide our thoughts. You know, we love hearing what you guys think and how that translates into a, into a question. Um, I'm going to make sure. Let me let me pull up. I know some of these are going to have to do with the undrafted free agent list. So before mm-hmm. we get this i'm going to pull up the list of the 49ers undrafted free agents just to make sure that i've got that in front of me um because i saw some questions about that in there okay so we're going to go through these questions we're going to hit hit them each one by one i think we got about 20 25 of them uh we can't spend too long on them because in typical us fashion we're already at 35 minutes so um did we ever sign this is from sam at stone cold kittle Sam, Niner Wire. Okay, so yeah, it's Sam. I'm just looking. He's got a lot of branding going on in his Twitter handle here. Um, did we ever sign Ronell Kirkins? I thought we did, but he's not listed as someone signed. I don't believe the 49ers did officially sign Ronell Perkins. Um, he's a linebacker out of Missouri. I don't know anything about him. I do remember the name coming up. I think he was on one of my tweets at one point when we were kind of breaking down all the rumored um, undrafted free agent signings. And those are, it's kind of like a weird time. Those kind of come in from random sources. Um, a lot of the times they're from somebody that's unverified. It, it's just, and, and it ends up being true a lot of, most of the time, 99% of the time. It's just, it, it's a weird time because they, the, the signings come from weird sources. But as of right now, the 49ers have signed 10 undrafted free agents and Ronell Perkins is not among them. But um, I don't know if he was signed by anyone else. Let me see. Um, I always want to see it. Okay, it doesn't say that anybody else did. That might be somebody that they've obviously, if, if his name come up, came up, they took a look at him. Might be somebody they bring in during training camp. I think the roster's maxed out now, but um, okay. Anthony wants to know Crocker's thoughts on Demarcus AC. Oh yeah, so I definitely have first off. Is he is he corner? Is he a safety? Is he both? He's a cornerback. Okay. So, I, I, but I want to say he wasn't always a cornerback because I think I saw something where he was like he was listed at like a safety. So he might be a guy that 
went from safety to corner, which you re- usually don't see that. Usually you see it the opposite way, way around where it's like he was at corner, but I can't really cover very well, so let's put him at safety. But uh, this is a guy who uh, played on the outside. He had good length. Uh, he looked big on when I was watching him on film. Looked about 6'2", 200 pounds. I want to say he weighed in and measured in at about 6'1", 195 or something like that. What I saw on film, um, he wasn't a bad mover. You know, movement skills, that's the first thing that I pay attention to. But he just didn't – he had several opportunities to kind of make some type of plays, and he just didn't make any of them. So, now he was going up against tough competition. Uh, Both games that I watched were against South Carolina. So the first year, he had to go up against Debo Samuel and – Brian Edwards, and obviously I was really high on Brian Edwards, uh, it didn't go very well for him. They both scored touchdowns on him. They both were catching balls. Uh, Debo Samuel caught a fade ball on him. Um, and then the following year, this year, it was just Brian Edwards, and Brian Edwards went crazy that game. And a lot of it, the damage was with AC uh, lined up across from him. So it wasn't anything to where I was just like, ah, oh, like I'm banging on this guy being good. He – it was just kind of whatever. But he fits the mold, I think, as far as, like, length, like, you know, his height, his length, his weight, all that type of stuff. But from, like, playing football, it's not somebody I really hold my breath for. Now, he might be good. He might be great. He might get there and do wonderful. But on film, I didn't see anything that stood out to me that's like, hey, you know, this is somebody that's really good. Right. Right. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm I'm just going with your word for that one because I don't know if about him, know enough about him to know. And even if I did, it wouldn't supersede what you have to say on him. So, all right. Um, Joshua. Joshua Zalk. Um, there's a lot in here. So we'll kind of I'll kind of say the whole thing and then we'll kind of pick it apart. What are your early predictions of the 2021 offseason? So one offseason from now, one year from now, re-signing surprise trade tra- tra- trade away candidates release candidates, and the prospects of acquiring Joey Bosa from the Chargers. <laughs> um, man, that's a lot. It's tough. That That is a question that, you know, we could spend an entire podcast on. There's just a lot there. Um, I don't know if I have any shocking release. I mean, somebody like D. Ford has kind of remained in like a precarious spot. He's going to – the 49ers would save a lot if he wasn't around. You know, he could be a surprise release candidate or a trade candidate. Really depends on how his health goes. Um, as far as Joey Bosa, I don't think there's any chance that they – you would have to trade like two first-round picks for a guy like that. I don't think that they're going to let him hit free agency. It's just like – I just think there's no chance. And the 49ers are already kind of up against the wall when it comes to the salary cap. They are expected to get quite a bit more next season. Because somebody like you know Richard Sherman is no longer on the books, and, and a few other guys, it's supposed to go from like seventeen to fifty million, um, you know. It, but it's it's just like the contract would be massive. It'd be more than DeForest Buckner just got paid. It, it would just be what? Am I off here, dude? Like, I just think it would it would be too much. Even more so than like I guess the money is just is Joey Bosa, and typically guys like that they don't really hit the market. I, I think we look at his little brother, right? And we know what type of potential and how good he can be. Well, Joey is everything so far in his career. He's been everything and more like he's when he's healthy and when he's playing, he's been a 10 plus sack guy, like easily like dude's a monster. So 
you're not letting somebody like that walk without getting everything from somebody. Like if you if you want Joey Bosa, you and you want to you know reunite him with his little brother, I want everything that you have. And I can't see the 49ers doing that. So. Right, I can't either. And it's it's just like think of let's say that Nick Bosa continue to play at the level he's playing now, which everybody saw this season was insane. It was amazing for a rookie. Let's say he continues to play at that level, maybe gets a little better, but he maintains that. He has some injury, deals with a couple injuries or whatever. But then you like you just think, picture that. Picture having that. And, you know, the 49ers already do. And then what what would you, if, if somebody were to come calling about Nick Bosa, imagine how much the 49ers would ask. You know, okay, we want two first-round picks, and then after you trade us those first-round picks, you're going to have to sign this guy to five years, a hundred and something million. You know, kind of like what they did with when they traded for Khalil Mack. It's that type of trade. Joey Bosa is considered, I mean, I guess he's probably not quite as good as Khalil Mack, but that he's right in that market, and that's it would have to be the exact same type of trade. Not exact, but you get what I mean. It's just, it's too much. The idea of having Joey and Nick Bosa on either sides of the defensive line is freaking cool. They're brothers. You know, it'd be an, it's an awesome prospect, but it's just not how football teams are built. You would have, by the time that happened, you know, Nick Bosa would be coming up on his, the end of his rookie deal. You'd have two edge rushers that probably account for $50 million in salary cap space per year. Like, it's just... It's just, it's just not there, you know. And it's a cool thing to think about, but it's just, it's just not, not realistically. It's not no. realistic. No, if the 49ers won't pay DeForest Buckner, obviously a little bit different position, stuff like that. But if they can't pay DeForest Buckner, they can't trade for and then pay Joey Bosa. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, Bosa's better than Buckner. Right. Well, and and not even if even if you consider Buckner a better player, Buckner's not an edge rusher, and edge rushers are like the second highest paid position on the football field, and he would get more than Buckner. So it's it's just it's craziness. So all right, to so moving on, Cal, which current forty as we saw with both Armstead and Ward in 2019, which current 49ers player on the roster who has either underachieved or been underwhelming so far through their careers, for different reasons, can you envision? taking a giant leap forward in their play on the field for the 2020 season. So we're talking about a 49ers player that has generally underperformed or, or not quite met expectations that we could see taking a giant step forward. Um, do you have one that comes to mind, Croc? Yeah, and, I, and I'm not saying that this guy has, like, underachieved or that he has to take, like, a drastic step forward, but so it's kind of – I guess I am answering it, but not really answering. But Kendrick Bourne, um, obviously he hasn't been like a disappointment, but I just think man, it's like this dude's working so hard this off season, and I have a buddy that's training him. Like my my buddy trains him. He, you know, he, I was on Facetime with him today while he was training uh, Kendrick Bourne, and it's like man, this dude is working so hard, and this is his opportunity, right? He's basically on a one year contract uh, while being you know uh, a restricted free agent. He's making a few million dollars. He's the highest paid receiver in the room. I mean, a lot of the guys are on their rookie contracts, but uh, but he has an opportunity here to where it's like, hey, Kendrick, like you're you're the guy, you right? Because IU is a rookie, so they can't expect him day one to come in and start. So you have an opportunity right now to take a stranglehold in this of this position and make you some money for years to come, and make them have to like like you make it tough on them. If, if they're gonna take you off the field for IU, you make it tough on them. And I, I like him. 
a lot. I, I think he has a lot to offer. I think he's very consistent, uh, regardless of what most people think. He had a couple drops against Seattle. But outside of that, he's extremely consistent. But all right, Kendrick, it's year, what, four? Now's the time. So I'm interested to see, does he take even that next step that I've seen guys like, you know, Stevie Johnson take, you know, like just that big leap to where, you you know, you have minimal uh, uh, production and then all of a sudden you have a thousand yard year. Now, now I'm not saying that Bourne's going to have that, but he, hey, who knows? Take advantage of this opportunity. So I am expecting him to have a, uh, to contribute much more than what we've seen in previous years. He, he's coming into camp. He's the guy. What are you going to do? I am going to go with – I like that pick, by the way. I'm going to go with a little bit of a, a risk here, um, and I'm going to go with Jarek McKinnon. And, I'm, I mean, I think that the chances are pretty good that he doesn't even make the 53-man roster. He's just in a precarious spot, basically signed a vet minimum contract and restructured what was once a huge deal. But I'm just going to say that, you know, and obviously 49ers are super – Fans are super sour on him because he he collected a big paycheck but got injured and was never able to play over the past two years. But I'm going to say maybe he get, it finally works his way into the offense he's, and he's healthy enough to show why Kyle Shanahan was show, so enamored with him um, when he hit free agency. And, you know, they gave him a huge deal, one that a lot of people kind of like scoffed at. But I know that for a fact that Kyle Shanahan had a lot of playbooks stashed away just for this guy and plays that worked with him and the fact that he's such a well-rounded running back and receiver. You know, he if you were to watch him run routes and catch the ball, you would think he was a receiver. But he's also a decent running back, too, so he's a guy that you get a lot of versatility from. And I'm just going to say that. Let's say that, you know, somebody that I could see breaking out and, and actually having a pretty significant role. You know, Jared McKinnon is still on the roster. Matt Breida is not. You know, so so take that for what you will. Now, obviously, both people had far different circumstances, but Matt Breida has proven with the 49ers way more than Jarek McKinnon. But the 49ers kept Jarek McKinnon around because of what Shanahan feels like he can do with him in the backfield. So let's just say things work out for McKinnon, he comes back healthy, and he's able to finally show what Shanahan signed him for. So that's what I'm going to go with, just for fun. Let's see if it works out. Um, all right. Predictions. Who will be on the final roster for receivers week one? Okay, so here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll go down the receivers I think will be on the roster for week one, and then you could tell me if you disagree. Okay? So let's go with, obviously, I'm going to take a risk here, and I'm going to say Brandon Ayuk is going to be on the roster yes. week one. Okay? Uh, Kendrick Bourne. Yes. Okay. Um, Debo Samuel. Yes, that's three. Jalen Hurd. Ooh, starts to get tough now. I know, it does. But I'm going to say yes. I will too. Did I already say Kendrick Bourne? Yeah. Okay, cool. So now we're at four. Okay. Um. Uh, here's the tough one. Jawan Jennings. I'm going to say yes. Okay. And if you don't know, that's the 49ers' seventh-round draft pick this year. Wide receiver out of Tennessee, uh, big guy, 6'3", kind of slow, but he's just like a bully. Like, he just doesn't get tackled very easy. So, interesting player. Um, we'll oh, see. wait, no, no, no. No? He's not, no. Okay, then let's jump down to Trent Taylor. 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Dante. That's, that's my fifth guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So are you are you going are you going no on Juwan Jennings? Yes, I'm going no on Juwan Jennings. Okay. So right now we've got we've got four after Jalen Hurd. You went no on Juwan Jennings because um, I have Hurd coming through. So if I didn't have Hurd coming through, then I would say Jennings because you know they kind of essentially fit the same role. And I'm going to say this Trent Taylor. Okay. So now we're at five. Uh, Dante Pettis. Yes. Do you think they keep more than six receivers? No. Okay. And I actually think like because you got Travis Benjamin, you got Ron uh, Jennings. I think they actually trade Pettis. Okay, I, I could I could see that. I could see that. Um, and keep Benjamin. Okay. So the other guys don't make it. Richie James, Junior, uh, Juwan Jennings, Point Dexter. Um, you know, all those guys. I don't think they make it. Right. You got Chris Thompson, Sean Poindexter, Juwan Jennings, Richie James, Chris Finky. I think that's Think. Finky. Think. Sorry, I'm about. I'm like about to sneeze here, guys. Sorry, I don't want to sneeze all over. Um, and then, so yeah, they would keep Travis Benjamin. Now, seeing the way we laid that out, I do think that they they would try to keep Travis Benjamin for the speed element. You know what I mean? Like a guy that and Ayuk is really fast. I think he he's going to eventually establish that speed element. But you know, I think they're going to want one guy on the on the in the group that has a a, a commandable presence when it comes to speed. Like and people know he's fast. You know what I mean? Like he might have had so he had one really really good season. The past couple have been pretty much non-existent. But they might try and keep. But again, that's also a guy they don't really really have an attachment to. So I could see them going Jennings instead of Benjamin and just not really worrying about the speed element. But It'll be interesting. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. But let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, what can we – this is Josh. What can we expect out of the corners next season? And is this probably Sherman's last season as a 49er? Croc, you go. I would say, yes, this is last year. And I think the corners will be fine. I'm pretty confident that – uh, the secondary will be fine. Now, would they be as good as this past year? I, I, I don't know if they'll duplicate, replicate that or duplicate, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think they'll just be, like, getting killed and all of a sudden the 49ers pass defense to be, like, a bottom half of the league pass defense. I still think they'll be top ten. So um, I, I think they'll be fine. Good answer. I agree. Um Ryan, who we I wasn't I was gonna skip over Ryan's question because we've already answered one of his, but he asked, "Is Kinlaw a better prospect than Buckner coming out of college?" No, he's not. Um, but he's good. I mean, obviously, you're talking about the number seven pick when Buckner was selected, and Kinlaw was the number fourteenth. So, uh, but no. so it's it's a little different. Um, who was it that was it? Uh, Golf and Wentz. The year Buckner came out? Right. I think, no. yeah. Was no, it? it was. It was, yeah. Goff, they traded up for Wentz, and then it was Goff, and then and like, then I think Joey Bosa was third. Yeah, uh, Ramsey. Right. And then like, Buckner was after that. This, here's the thing, and this is kind of what I what I see, and I, this is not like a slight at Buckner or anything. I, I think he's a terrific football player and obviously a terrific prospect, and I don't want to downplay his – what he was just because he's not here anymore. They are different. Um, Kenlaw is a bigger, freakier athlete. 
to to explode off the ball and play with violence when he wants to. He plays with this type of bully kind of mentality that Buckner doesn't really have that. Buckner is a really good football player. Uh, Kinlaw has, like, elite-type talent, especially for somebody that's 6'5", 330 pounds. Like, you typically don't get that type of movement skills from someone, like, that big. And then when he bullies guys, like, is like where Buckner is good, he has that mean swim move, but he's not really, like, a bully. And he's not, like, freakishly athletic. He is he's athletic, he's, and he's a leaner type of athlete. Kinlaw's bigger, like, wider and stuff, but still moves just as good, if not better. So I think this is a unique case where you had just so many good offensive linemen. You had, you had three or four court, court, quarterbacks that went. You had two uh, top-tier talented cornerbacks uh, at the top. Um, and then you also had another freaky uh, interior defensive lineman in Brown, and even he kind of slid. And I think in a normal situation, he'd be drafted a little bit higher. I, I don't want to say that, you know, Ken Law is better than Buckner as a prospect, but I don't think it's – if somebody does think that, like if somebody does think Ken Law is a better prospect, especially doing what he's – like he did in the SEC, like he's bullying Alabama. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a little different than bullying the Pac-12. Because could you imagine what Ken Law would do to Pac-12 offensive linemen? Like – he he destroyed him. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think DeForest Buckner is a better prospect coming out of college. But I think – I don't think Kim Law is better than coming out – I wasn't as high on Kim Law as I was Buckner. But, like, maybe that's just because of the prospect that since then they've drafted so many defensive linemen. So I just wasn't allowing myself to get as excited about it. But they're both really good. And Kim Law is a much – like thicker dude like he's he's 6'6 325 pounds DeForest Buckner was like 6'7 6'8 right around 300 pounds and and I believe that Kinlaw like had to like drop a little bit of weight to play there like this is a big dude that can really just be like a force there but anyways we got to keep going we're already we're already pushing an hour and we're not even through half our questions okay so we're going to start rolling through these questions for like another week (laughs) <laughs> no, we don't want to do that. I don't, there are people that are going to be expecting to hear it. We'll get through them, dude. We'll just make them a little quicker. Um, Kieran, 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 I think that's what it is. Kyron, Kieran. How do you think the loss of Staley and Buck will impact the seemingly great locker room culture? That's a good question. And that's the thing I'm worried about. And not just those two. It's not going to stop there. Emmanuel Sanders as well. I think, like, just how they are, I think it definitely, like, impacted the locker room. And now you're adding a different dynamic, right? Because from what I understand and what I hear about Kinlaw, I, I don't know if he's that type of guy. Um, Trent Williams, it sounds like he's definitely an alpha, but I don't think he's like the fun-loving guy that, you know, like a Buckner and Staley. I think he – it sounds like he is a good locker room guy and leader, but he's not like the goofy type. So that could kind of change the dynamics of the locker room a little bit. So – um it it changes. Now I'm not saying this for worse. Maybe they just make everybody just all of a sudden everybody's like super gangster or something instead of just like hella goofy, <laughs> you know. But uh, I, I mean, I am interested to see like how it changes because that that is a really good question. Yeah, I think there's there's no way you can lose a guy like you know DeForest Buckner, although he was younger, 
still had a very, you know, obvious presence about him and the, the way he carried himself and the way others kind of carried themselves around him. But there's no way you can lose a guy like Joe Staley and your locker room not be impacted. You're talking about like a guy that, you know, like a lot of times when media got into locker rooms after games, players would kind of just be show- finished showering. Uh, you know, it was that awkward time where they're trying to change and there's media standing around and um, but, you know, every time Joe Staley walked into the room, it was, you know, it, it was almost this, you know, one, all the media knew they had to get his comments. If he wasn't scheduled to go to the podium, they knew they had to get comments from Joe Staley because he's like the father of of that locker room. And that's kind of how he was. He was a goofball and stuff. And he was funny and he got, you know, he talked to everybody, got along, seemed like he got along with everybody. But it was like when he walked into the room, it was like, it's like, okay. Stop, you know, not stop screwing around because I, I don't want to say it like that because that's obviously not his personality. But everybody respected him, and he was just he was a, a very, you know, you know, the godfather of that team. So if you don't lose a guy like that, the locker room not be impacted. That being said, I feel like those guys have already established what it takes to win in that locker room, and I feel like there's a lot of guys like Mike McGlinchey, despite being young, that are going to kind of eventually take on that same role and be able to kind of move the locker room forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I, there's no way it's not impacted. I just don't necessarily, like Crocker said, I don't think it'll necessarily get the locker room all of a sudden be bad. It'll just be different because those guys, you know, especially somebody like Joe Staley is kind of irreplaceable. So, um, El Pinco Grande, I don't know. Hopefully that wasn't something inappropriate. But, um so are either of the new undrafted free agent running backs a Matt Breida-like diamond in the rough? You know, I don't know. I did watch a little bit of both of them. The one out of Baylor seems like he could be kind of kind of nice. Did you watch either of them, Croc? Either of the running backs? No, you're probably muted and you don't even realize it. Yeah, I was muted. Um, the, the, I watched the Baylor one, but like not really like focusing on him. Uh, I, I watched him while watching Mims, and he just – he definitely ran hard, kept making plays. Somebody compared him to – you don't remember number 32, Harris, a couple a few years ago? DeJuan Harris? Yeah, DeJuan Harris. He reminded yeah, me a lot. He, he was that like – he was that type of running back. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't really know. It, it's I think that you should – the one thing I would say is you should definitely take notice of them. Like, obviously, of course, that obvious. But it's like – uh, whenever the 49ers sign a running back, there's something there. You know, I, I the 49ers just have such an eye for that position. And, you know, obviously they it's not that they're infallible and they haven't missed on somebody like Joe Williams. But at the same time, they just have a good eye for that position. And I feel like they have a, uh, you know, there's a strong chance that one of them could stick on the roster depending what mo- what moves they make in the backfield. So, you know, it's – I'm not sure if we're ready to say that they could go on to be the type of running back that Matt Breida was, but I think there's definitely something to look at there. Okay. Uh, for the Love says, what do you believe is the plan for the secondary in 2021 and after? We're set this year, but a lot of changes on the horizon, especially with cap situation. Well, I, I don't really know, man. I mean, because I was pretty adamant that the 49ers were going to draft the corner relatively high this year for somebody to either fill in for Sherman next year, play opposite him, you know, all this stuff, but they didn't, and they didn't really address the position. You know, Akella Witherspoon is still in the mix. Manuel Mosley is a young guy that they like who could develop into a long-term solution, but I don't really know what the plan is. Like, 
what do you, do you have any other thoughts on that, Croc? Like, I mean, my initial thoughts were that they wouldn't really address cornerback this year, not high at least. Um, I thought that they would take like a, a fifth or sixth round cornerback um, as a just kind of like a depth piece and like a just in case, and then just go kind of go all in next year. But it looks like they went all in on just the guys that they already have, which you know even outside of you know Sherman Witherspoon Mosley. They do have guys that have been around, like DJ Reed. Um, it sounds like they do want to see what Harris had. A, you know, he was a rookie out of Virginia last year. Which I wasn't high on him, but um, you know, it seems like that's somebody that they might like. So, you know, but yeah, long term, they don't really have anything in place. But I think cornerback will just 100% be a priority to address next offseason. So I wouldn't be too worried. There's several ways to go about it. Whether it's free agency and you get a veteran. And then also in the draft, you can attack and get somebody and, you know, the position to be, uh, you know, looking a lot better. That's what I was thinking when you were talking about that is I, I could see the 49ers just making – they've done a good job of kind of addressing the rest of the roster and, and every making sure everything else kind of has some long-term stability. So it wouldn't surprise me if next year they signed like a, a pretty decent free agent corner and then drafted one relatively high, you know, like – and then still had Emmanuel Mosley in the mix or, you know, we'll see what they do with him, but – it's it's interesting, you know. It, it, he's I think Emmanuel Mosley only has one more year on his deal, so obviously they'd have to figure out what they're going to do there. But um, it, it could, like Crocs said, I could see it just being a, a major position focus next off season. Just something they need to know, they need to address, um, just like they did when they assigned Sherman. So um, okay, where are we at now? Uh, how could 49ers fit Trent Williams into their long term plan? This is for the love again. Uh, I mean. How he how could the 49ers fit him in there? Then if if everything goes well, he returns to form. I could see the 49ers just resigning him, and that's how he fits in. Like they obviously would like for it to work out. He's he's not young. Obviously, he's past 30, but at the same time, he could have you know three. Depending on how his health pans out, he could have three three you know three ish three four years left. And if the 49ers are confident that they could get a good two or three years out of him then they would just re-sign him. It just depends. They they both have said that they're just going to wait, wait and see how it fits, and we'll see. But, I mean, it's not like a mystery. Either he pans out and they re-sign him, or they let him hit free agency and he, he gets a pretty big contract, and we'll see what kind of compensatory pick the 49ers would get back. Uh, Muhammad said, who has the bigger season overall, Dante Pettis or Solomon Thomas? And will that be enough to stay on the 49ers roster in 2021? Well, Crocker already said it. He thinks the 49ers are going to trade Dante Pettis. So does that mean your answer is automatically Solomon Thomas? Or do you think Dante Pettis could really, like, catch fire on another team? I think, I mean, well, the the tough thing is with Dante Pettis, like, he's very talented. And I think he's very talented. But he's just so, like, deep into the doghouse. And I think they continue to add talent around him. And I just think the writing is on the wall for him, that this just might not be the place for him. So... Yeah, Solomon Thomas, I think there's definitely um, a role for him. I think there's more of a role for Solomon Thomas than than Dante Pettis at this point. The crazy thing is they both have opportunities, either had or have. I mean, Solomon Thomas has more of an opportunity now than he's ever had. He was the third straight defensive lineman behind Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, and you know, and, and they tried to put him in a spot that wasn't really his natural spot. And all of a sudden, now they did draft Javon Kinlaw to basically step right in for DeForest Buckner. So, you know, it, it's tough to, I guess, I you know, now that I say that, maybe 
Solomon Thomas's opportunity hasn't gotten any better. But, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of – Kinlaw's a, a brand-new rookie. He's not going to play nearly as much as DeForest Buckner did when he first showed up. So there could be – you know, there's just more of a chance that, for him to work his way in there and, and show – that he can still have an impact. And Dante Pettis, I just don't know. I, if I was forced to pick between the two, I would say Solomon Thomas, just because for the same thing Croc said, like he just he showed all the right things at the end of his rookie year, and you were just like, dude, this guy is going to be something good. And I don't know. It just the floor fell out from under him, and his confidence went out the window. Maybe he just doesn't love football like – you know, I'm not going to speculate on that stuff because he's his own man and he's he has whatever. But you know, maybe it's it's obviously just not working out. And and for somebody like Shanahan, who clearly had a very strong interest in him, strong enough to trade up and get him and and trade a third round pick to go up and get him in the second round, and they obviously saw something great in him, but it just hasn't panned out. And sometimes that happens. But it's just tough to see him making that big of an impact. I mean, he just spent a first round pick on another wide receiver and he spent a third round pick on one last year. Like, you know, they're, they're not waiting for him. Um, big Ken, do you see a move like a wide for a wide receiver, like Chris Samuel or Juju or Beckham? I think he means Curtis Samuel, right? From the Panthers. Didn't somebody kind of say he might be available. That's the, that's the wide receiver on the Panthers, right? Croc? You better not be muted again. Oh yeah, I was muted. <laughs> any like credible like sources? I just seen it like on Twitter from just random people, but so I don't know how you know available he really is. But I don't think that, I don't think after I don't see them making a move for a big guy like that. Whether it was Curtis Samuel, Juju Smith Schuster, or Odell Beckham, I just uh, like the Forty ers used like two wide receiver sets. I think like more often than anybody else, and. They have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk now. Now, obviously, you have to wait for Ayuk to work out, but they're going to give him every opportunity to work out. And then they also have George Kittle, uh, who's he's essentially their own like wide receiver one. So, you know, I, I just there's not a lot of room left in there. Not to say they couldn't if if they traded for a guy like that. Not to say that guy couldn't step in and have a big impact. But I just feel like the 49ers are already, you know, they they have a lot of young talent there that they want to see how it works out. They want to throw him into the fire a little bit. And, Adding a guy like that just, you know, it's it's why they didn't keep Emmanuel Sanders, despite having given up a lot for him. Uh, Lou asks, could playing in front of empty stadiums negate the defense's advantage? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Crowd noise is a huge, huge deal. Huge deal. It's And it's not even like a uh, the fans want to think it's a huge deal. It's a massive deal. And being able, being essentially playing football in front of a silent stadium would be game changing. Yeah, it's like like practice, right? Even because they're at least, I mean, I I would think it's kind of like more like a you know like inner squad scrimmage, but even then, there's fans there. Yeah, it's it's game changing. It's it's crazy. It would it would be cool to watch it too because you'd be able to hear everything, you know. But it's you know. It's it's obviously it's not going to feel like normal football, and I think that's probably the strongest reality in this moment is that the for, the NFL uh, season will go on as planned, but fans won't be allowed to be there. I don't know. St- states are starting to reopen. Maybe we get there that fast. It's just tough to see you know seventy thousand people coming together to sit shoulder to shoulder 
you know, I could see it just taking a little bit of time for that to come back. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Dino or Dino. I'm going to say Dino. Do you think there's a chance the 49ers will trade Pettis to the Packers for cornerback Josh Jackson? Jackson's a perfect fit for the 49ers zone defense and would fill a future need. I read that somewhere, whether Josh Jackson was actually on the trade block or, you know, I, I don't know if there's any legs to that. I can't remember where I read it or if it, I don't think it was anything official, but I don't know. Crocker, what were your feelings on Josh Jackson and his, why, why would the Packers want to get rid of him? Is he not working out? Yeah. I, mean, I don't even think he's playing. And I, I wasn't a big fan of him, but I will say, I think the 49ers are in a position, like, with the receivers that, like, you can kind of get rid of. Um, it, it, it makes sense, right, for both teams. Pettis could be a guy that really excels with Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball to him in, in that offense, which really is a similar offense to what the 49ers do, but maybe just a little bit of Aaron Rodgers stuff sprinkled in there that might help him. Whereas Josh Jackson might excel more in the 49ers single high, uh, kind of cover three-ish, uh, defense where, you know, he was a really good zone corner in college. This is different. There are more man principles, but it is something that might help him. Like, so maybe, it, you know, that can bring a little bit, you know, more out of him. It makes sense for both teams, but that's something that I would, I would actually do it. And that kind of gives the 49ers, you know, some youthful depth and a, hey, let's see what we have here. Can Richard Sherman help this kid? And if so, you know, there's something there. What who was the who was the Chiefs receiver that the 49ers traded AJ Jenkins for? Baldwin, John Baldwin? Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's something like that maybe. You know what I mean? Obviously it's not a straight up swap, but sometimes people just need you know, they need a new start. And not that it worked out for either of them. But it's, you know what I mean? Like sometimes teams are just willing to give players a, a fresh start and Green Bay happens to need receivers and the 49ers wouldn't wouldn't hurt with some more cornerback depth and possibly a guy that could start. But, you know, I could see it being something like that where both teams are like, let's just swap, see how it works out for us and stuff like it that. It has the 49ers, right? Isn't that how they got Jeremy Curley? And then they ended up trading Jeremy Curley for Lakin Tomlinson and Tomlinson has been the starter ever since. So right. yeah. it's definitely, you know, been, been those, you know, those little – type of trades, change of scenery trades have definitely been, you know, somewhat beneficial for the 49ers. For sure. For sure. All right. I think we got through everything on this thread of questions. Yes. So we have a few more because I did my last call, um, but we're, we're getting there. We're almost done. But all right. Lydia, who made that awesome Photoshop of Kyle Shanahan sitting across from Bill Walsh. That was pretty sweet. Um, do you think Garoppolo's contract will need to be restructured or some other large contract before the Kittle extension will get done? No, I do not. Um, Jimmy's cap number this year is $26.9 million, which is completely in the realm. Well, okay. I'm not going to say no, I do not think any contract could get restructured. They just restructured Quan Alexander's contract um, to try and clear some space for, I think, you know, Eric Armstead and what they're going to try and do with George Kittle. You know, D Ford's cap number kind of is, is, is an eyesore, uh, but it just depends. They might be willing to absorb that this season just because they want to, you know, see if they can get that, that majority of the season project production from him because he changes the defense. But I don't think it's Jimmy Garoppolo's contract is going to change. His is a very normal quarterback contract. Um, and, you know, he's, he's due, 
He has a 26.9 cap hit next season. Right now it's 26.6. As we've seen with these other quarterback contracts, that's quickly becoming kind of like obsolete, like he's not even in the top 10 anymore. Um, so I, I don't see them changing that. But, you know, there's there's D Ford. Um, you know, it depends on when they do the George Kittle extension too because next year Quan Alexander has a 16.5 cap number hit. You know, maybe – they that restructure kind of was the writing on the wall of maybe him them not keeping him that long and and they they feel like they can allow Dre Greenlaw to step in there um but I mean that's a huge number for a team that's starting to back up against the salary cap but again Quan's 16.5 million dollar number is in the same structure as the 49ers having 50 million in salary cap space so there's a lot going on I am by no means a salary cap expert but I'm not I'm not sure how much the 49ers are going to need to do to make room for George Kittle. It really just depends on if they want to finish it this year or next year and how what George Kittle has told them about, you know, will he hold out for a contract or not? I mean, that seems so anti George Kittle, but at the same time everybody should, you know, everybody needs to do what they need to do to protect their chicken, you know. So it is what it is. Uh, I, I, it's it's tough to say, but there are a couple contracts being like D Ford and Quan Alexander that kind of stand out as as a lot when you're trying to squeeze someone in like George Kittle. But um, undrafted players you think will make the team and one surprise cut. So, but let me use this opportunity, Croc, and make sure you're not on mic, sucker. Um, <laughs> have you did you look into Jared Maiden at all? The the Alabama safety. No, you know, and I keep telling myself I'm going to, but tomorrow I 100% am going to watch that dude. Because he was, he was, you know, there was that tweet from Daniel Jeremiah where Jared Maiden was ranked 114th, was the 114th ranked player on his big board. And I have a very high opinion of Daniel Jeremiah. I just think he's like the absolute epitome of a professional. I've always respected the stuff he said about players. And he's always kept it real. He, you know, he, he's he's very good at expressing his opinion about a player without being, you know, without hyperbole and and going one way or the way, way over to the left, way over to the right, whatever you would call it. Um, But he had Jared Maiden out of the Alabama safety 114th. And that's the equivalent of like a fourth round pick. And the 49ers signed him as an undrafted free agent, you know? Um, So that's interesting. You know, I I don't know. Marcel Harris is there behind Jaquiski Tart. And then Tavarius Moore is there behind Jimmy Ward. So there's not a whole lot of opening there, but that could be somebody that I could see squeezing in there. And, of course, there's always, you know, the idea that a, an undrafted free agent running back squeezes in there because that's what the 49ers do. And surprise cut, I don't know. Is there anybody off the top of your head that you could see as a surprise cut, Croc? Because, I mean, I, I don't have one, like, right off the bat. I mean, I'm going to look at the roster again and see if anybody jumps out. What do you think? Yeah. So, surprise cuts. Um, no, I can't. I can't. I mean, Trent Taylor, which I don't have him getting cut, but I mean, would that be a surprise? I don't have him getting cut because I think he's just good when he's healthy. But I could see, def- I could definitely see a scenario. He hasn't been healthy really the last few years. I could see a scenario where he's released, but would that be like a surprise? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think to some people who are kind of expecting him to come back and, and be the man, but at the same time, you know, it's, he's, he's, yeah, like you said, he struggled a lot with health and just, you know, that's, there's nothing he can do, especially with the stuff that's happening. Surprise cut. And I really want to give him an answer for this one. I'm looking through here. 
Um, shoot, I mean, I just after what we were just talking, no, they just restructured him. They run and restructured Quan Alexander just to cut him. I don't think. Um, I don't know, man. I, surprise cut. I really don't know. I really don't know. I'll go D Ford. Surprise cut, D Ford. Is that yeah, a man? Does, 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 does that? Yeah, I know. No, I know. I get it. But right now. D forward accounts for 4.8 million. No, no. Am I one year ahead? That's 2021. Let me, let me pump the brakes. Let me see. Cut both June one. No, not T forward. It's not him. It's not him. Uh, just looking at his contract. I was looking at 2021. So no, man, I really don't know. That's a great question, dude. I wish I would have come up with somebody for you, but the 49ers roster is so set in so many areas. You know what I mean? They just didn't tinker with it a lot. And so there's so many guys that you're like, yep, he's there, he's there, he's there. This is what we're going with. There's some competition for some depth spots. But other than that, I mean, the starters seem so set. It's tough to come up with a surprise that fast. But I don't want to tinker around with the question too much. Good question, though, Jeff. That was Jeff. Um, vale, the Voyager. Okay, Vale, I see you. Do you guys think Kinlaw makes an early impact? Do you guys believe that he's a boomer bust player and Lynch reach on this pick? Um, I do believe he makes an early impact, and I don't believe – He's a boomer bust player and Lynch reached. Do you have a different answer, Croc? I don't want to say boomer bust, but I definitely can see a scenario where he does bust. Uh, just from kind of things I've been told, you know, he just has a lot going on in his personal life. That, but maybe like you know, money. Not saying money makes everything happy, but you know, he's had a. You talking about Kinlaw, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's had a rough kind of run at things, kind of growing up. And he probably has a lot of weight on his shoulders to support a lot of different people, as do a lot of NFL players. But um, his circumstances were all, like, jacked up. And I could see a scenario where, like, maybe the pressures from, you know, the outside of being the guy to support the family could maybe hinder his play a little bit. Now, maybe it's not – maybe it goes the other way, and now he finally gets to be the best that he can be because he's not worried about the stuff going on back home. So maybe now is like we actually see an even better and more consistent because that's what I've been told. The 49ers can get an actual better and more consistent Ken Law because he doesn't have the stuff going on at home that was stressing him out in college. So cool, uh, Paul. What are the chances the 49ers re-sign Richard Sherman? Will he sign a more team-friendly deal, or will he go test the market if he has another good year? Oh, man, that's a good question. I I don't know, man. It depends. I think, I mean, if, if Richard Sherman's play doesn't drop off, he has just as good of a season this year as he had last year. Maybe he wants to stick around and play another year or two. You know, he he also just seems kind of like a forward-thinking guy. You know, Richard Sherman's probably already talked to, like, like uh, television people about possibly doing something like that. He probably – <laughs> Yeah, he he probably would look into coaching. You know, like he, there's a lot that's going to be waiting for Richard Sherman when he's done, a lot. So he's somebody that I could see just going, nope, that was a great run. I'm not going to play until my body forces me to retire. You know, it, it could go a lot of ways. What do you think, Ben? I've, I've thought, like, athletically he's kind of been going the opposite way, especially coming off an injury, but – you know, clearly he still has some elite, elite moments. So as long as those things stay consistent, I mean, 
who knows how long he can play. I would guess that safety would be kind of in his near future. We've seen it with all the guys, even like Deion Sanders, ends up playing more of a slot-type role. And I don't even want to say safety as if, like, it's just like a deep safety or whatever. Charles Woodson played more of a slot-type role late in his career, ended up being defensive player of the year. Um, Deion Sanders played more of a slot-type role with the, uh, when he came back and played with the Ravens. Uh, Rob Woodson moved to safety. Champ Bailey moved to safety. So it's not something that, you know, it typically happens the older you get. So, yeah, he could just play more of a slot-type role. Right. Yeah, no, I mean – I could, yeah, I've heard that mentioned by quite a few people about the idea of, of Richard Sherman switching to safety and not necessarily as a slide of him. It's just a way to extend his career and, and keep on going. Uh, okay, where are we at? I'm just finding my next question here. All right, so Gorilla Golf, if, this, if after this season we lose all of our cornerbacks to free agency, will next year's crop of college DBs be strong enough to fill those roles? That's another Crocker question. Wait, um, re- repeat that one more time. If if the 49ers essentially were had no starting corners going into next year, <laughs> would the group of college corners be good enough that the 49ers could like just straight up draft a couple and call it good? Mm, y- yes, only no. Oh, okay, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> the 49ers definitely have a good defensive line, so that can help. But I think, you know, listening to Richard Sherman talk to, you know, uh, talk to Mosley after his interception and saying, like, hey, like, remember, we talked about that. Like, remember, we talked about that play. Like, you don't have that. And there's definitely some, like, like you, you're going to go through some mental ups and downs, especially, like, regardless. And even more so if you don't have a guy like Sherman that's telling you exactly, hey, this is what you're looking for. This is how they're going to try to attack you. This is what it's going to do to your body. Take this step. Do this. If you don't have that guy, like, it makes it even harder. So, now, but if you just get some guys that can just play, then sure. Because they're, you know, Richard Sherman was once a rookie. And who was teaching him? I mean, I guess Pete Carroll, but, you know, so. Yeah, I feel you. Um, NB Raptor says, is Debo a better college evaluation than Ayuk? So essentially he's asking, was it was, um, we'll go, since you have, you know, put so much emphasis in your rankings as of late, would Debo Samuel rank ahead of Ayuk if they were both coming out in the same draft class? Uh, I, (sighs) I have my rank. I'm trying to picture it in my head right now. They're pretty much in the same spot. With I how I kind of, say, I th- I'm pretty sure you had them pretty close. To, I mean, yeah. it's a different class, so obviously Debo was ranked higher than Ayuk was this year, but it's a different class. So I, I did a top ten that combined the last two classes. Um, they like combined the last two receiver classes. The only one that was like higher for me was DK Metcalf. He stayed at wide receiver one for me just because I was just that impressed with his freaky upside. And I'm solely judging him on how I viewed them coming out as a prospect. Um, outside of him, everybody, the other guys, Debo and AJ, slid down a little bit. I didn't see them on the same level as, a, um, you know, Judy, Lamb, you know, even Ruggs, even guys like Brian Edwards, who I thought, you know, Brian Edwards is basically a clone of Debo, but, a 6'3", 215-pound version. So he's kind of the better prospect just off of his size, and he has very, very, very similar ability. So um, 
yeah, he Debo kind of slid down a little bit, but you know when you're combining two classes, I mean, you know, come on. But yeah, they were Ayuk and Debo. They're really like when I combine my two rankings, they're right there. They're both like eight and nine, right, right next to each other, combining the last two classes. And that's just how I view them as prospects. So even guys like Terry McLaurin and Hollywood Brown, they they would not be in that top ten. I'd actually have Debo and Ayuk ahead of both of those guys. All right, that's interesting. And I, I was pretty high on Debo Samuel, too, coming out. I, if I bothered with the rankings, I think I probably would have had Debo maybe a little bit ahead of Ayuk. But I don't know, man. Ayuk's pretty impressive. Like, watching that, the more I watch of him last year, the more impressed I am, especially when you consider, you know, how little he's been going at it. So, I mean, I just – I'll leave it at this. 49ers are in a good spot. If both those guys work out – and Debo continues to show what he showed last year. I mean, that's a that's a pretty interesting group to take forward for the next three, four, and onward years. And our very last question, his Twitter name is There's Always Next Year. Do you think the Niners will make the Super Bowl again? Um, I mean, I could. <laughs> I'm not going to predict that. I mean, yeah, I think they could. They very well could. They, they made it last year. They could make it again. But it, the – the difficulty of making the Super Bowl is so incredibly difficult to make. Even though the 49ers made it look easy, at least in the playoffs, they made it look easy. Um, it's so incredibly difficult to make the Super Bowl. It's, I mean, you can't. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. want to say that, but I'll say they'll, they'll put themselves in a position to definitely compete for a Super Bowl. You know, we saw it with Kansas City Chiefs, right? The year before, they lost in a tough game in the, in, in the AFC Championship game. The next year, they came back and they won, won it all. So it, it's not like it's. So you just typically don't bet on that. You don't you don't right. bet on going back to back to the Super Bowl. Forty Niners have been to the Super Bowl twice since nineteen ninety four. So you typically don't bank on the team going just being able to just make runs like that at it. But I will say the Forty Niners definitely will be one of the top teams in the NFC and compete for an opportunity to play uh in the Super Bowl. I think first and foremost, you kinda of getting ahead of yourself a little bit with the whole Super Bowl talk. You really just want to win the NFC West again. And if you do that, you definitely will end up putting yourself in, in putting yourself in a really good uh, position. Right. Yep. Couldn't have said it any better. I mean, the, the 49ers have the luxury. I mean, it's not a luxury. It's a curse. You know, the NFC West is so damn stacked. But if you can get out ahead of the NFC West, if you can win that division, then you have a very good shot of going to the Super Bowl because the NFC West is just so much better than any other division. And, and you know, I – I think everybody, that's pretty much like a universal truth at this point. But if the 49ers can manage to stay ahead of the Seahawks and the Cardinals and the Rams, that, who, in my opinion, are all very respectable now, we'll see what the Rams kind of do. They, they got a little weird. But if they can do that, then, then I feel like the, it almost, it's almost like the playoffs become, you know, easier. Like, you know, look at what the 49ers were doing during the regular season compared to what they did in the playoffs. It was almost like they were given a break in the playoffs. So, Anyways, but that's it, man. That's all our questions. And that's only an hour and a half worth of podcasting. (laughs) Flew right by. So hopefully you guys are still here. You're still chilling. You know, I I appreciate you guys hanging out, as always, listening to our podcast. You know, Striking Gold is is only possible with you guys being here, checking it out. Hopefully an hour and a half didn't drag on for you guys. Or, you know, I guess if it did, you would just click out and be like, all right, I'm done. Um but if you are still here listening, we appreciate you. And as all, like I say every time, we're finishing this up. 
Um, but that was fun. I appreciate it. And and yeah. now, go go. You got something to say, Crocker? Go go go. No, no, we're good. Oh, okay, okay. Um, you know, now Crocker and I enter into a, a, a rough stretch of the year where we have to try and find stuff to talk about, especially when, you know, there's like no off season that's supposed to go on. So it's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. But um, yeah, that's it, guys. Um, again, appreciate you. Make sure you guys are staying safe, stay inside until that completely changes. Make sure you're staying inside. Don't don't get tired of all this stuff. Um, if we lose our patience and all the uh, quarantine we just did would was probably be worthless. So stay patient <laughs> with it and stay at it, and, and hopefully we get a, a normal NFL season. But that's it for us, for uh, me and Crocker, for another week. Um, hit us like, oh yeah, forgot. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know, you know, if we answered your question, if you liked our answer, you know, any of that. Uh, you can find me at Rob underscore Louder. You can find Crocker at Eric underscore Crocker. And uh, hit, like I said, hit us up. Stay with us. Let us know if you liked or didn't like the episode, or if you liked or didn't like our answer, or anything, any of the above. Um, but, but that's it, guys. Um, we appreciate you. And this is uh, Striking Gold signing out. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.